0: Tonight's scripture reading is Zephaniah 3, 14 through 20. Sing, daughter Zion, shout aloud Israel. Be glad and rejoice with all your heart, daughter Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away your punishment. He has turned back your enemy. The Lord, the King of Israel, is with you. Never again will you fear any harm. On that day, they will say to Jerusalem, do not fear Zion. Do not let your hands hang limp. The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. I will remove from you all who mourn over the loss of your appointed festivals, which is a burden and reproach for you. At that time, I will deal with all who oppressed you. I will rescue the lame, I will gather the exiles. I will give them praise and honor in every land where they have suffered shame. At that time, I will gather you. At that time, I will bring you home. I will give you honor and praise among all the peoples of the earth. When I restore your fortunes before your eyes, says the Lord.
1: Well, I just wanted to say that I'm uh, glad this is a week of uh, joy that we lit that candle today because it it brings me great joy to welcome the stranger to some of you, the guy in the bowling shirt behind me. Um, This is Colt McCorkle, and he has been a long, how many years ago, member of Providence for quite a few years. In fact, so much that he was a missional community leader, and he was also an intern here. And him and his wife, Stephanie, and three children now um, moved to Mineola about two years ago, right around then, and planted a church there. So tonight it's with great joy that I welcome back Colt McCorkle to speak with us.
2: Thank you guys for uh, asking me to come and preach. I guess none of you actually, now that I'm saying that, asked me to. Thank you, Adam. But thank you all, I guess, for not, you know, not showing up. So, um, all right. So, Zephaniah. Um, All right. So, this passage that we just read here, um, I think would be difficult to understand unless you understood a context, which is what I think every preacher says always, but I really mean it this time. and um, uh, So we'll spend a couple minutes um, kind of understanding the story here, okay? Because I think if I were to just read this and try to unpack it for you, we could get some meaning from it. I think we would go home feeling good about some things, but I don't know that we would truly grasp Uh, the gospel in light of this passage, truly, because, you know, there's actually a whole bunch of stuff going on before this. You know, the question is, why are we singing? So here's the deal. So Zephaniah um, is a prophet. Whenever a prophet comes along, it's because things are probably not so great, all right? So um, in Israel, to give you sort of a timeline here, in the mid-1400s is the exodus out of Egypt, okay, Um, which is around the time that they get the law in the first place, okay, the law that dictates how they live their lives, okay? Um, that was around 1400. This, this book was written probably in the late 600s, about 610 BC, okay? So, that's not just, you know, head knowledge or something, but that's a, I'm telling you that because that's a long time. That's 800 years, okay? 800 years is a long time to get things right or wrong, okay? So, what we have in a time period like that is we have many prophets, the Old Testament's filled with prophets that have to come along when Israel does not remain faithful to the law, Okay? So the way it goes is basically the general formula is Israel has not been faithful. And so now I'm going to send a pro- God says I'm going to send a prophet to say, hey, you need to be faithful. Please repent. And sometimes they do. Sometimes they don't. Depends on the king. You know. And if they do repent, it's only for about five minutes. And they just go back to whatever they were doing in the first place. And this is sort of the story that we see just back and forth and back and forth. Okay. So Zephaniah falls right into this category. Okay. So <clears throat> Israel is unfaithful. Uh, really, really unfaithful, and so Zephaniah arrives on the scene to do what prophets do and say, hey, you need to be faithful, or God's going to judge you, that's how it works, okay, so let's start, I'm just going to slow, I'm going to slowly, no, the opposite, quickly walk us through the first um, couple of chapters so that we can understand the context, all right, so chapter 1, verse 1 says, "Move this up, The word of the Lord that came to Zephaniah, son of Cushi, the son of Gedaliah, the son of Amariah, the son of Hezekiah, during the reign of Josiah, son of Ammon, king of Judah. All right? This is interesting, okay? This sort of places Zephaniah's ministry within Josiah's kingdom, okay? So, let me, you know, there's the point to this, okay? So, Josiah is appointed king when he's eight years old, all right? It's a really kind of almost comical, it would be comical if it weren't so tragic, But if you flip back to 2 Kings 22, you don't have to do that. I'm just saying if you were to, you would find the story of Josiah. And the story, I mean, I just read it, and every time I just want to laugh. You know, it's ridiculous. It's like they have, like, a temple cleanup day is kind of what it seems like to me, right? And they're, like, you know, like sweeping, and they're like, oh, what's in this back room? I don't know, some books or something. You know, and they, like, open it up, and they go in the back room, and they're like, oh, what's this? And they pull out, like, the law, you know? And... And it's like dusty, and so it's, it. it, it, seriously, it reads like, you know, what is this thing? You know, so they like pop it open, and, you know, dust flies everywhere and moths, and they like read it, and they go, oh my goodness, let's take this to the king. So they like go to the king, and Josiah, who's 18, says, you know, yeah, well, what's, you know, what is this thing called the law, you know? And so they like open it up and read it to him, and it's like, here's all these things you should be doing, and he's like, well, we don't do any of that, and as well, here's all these things you shouldn't be doing. He's like, well, we do all of that, you know, and so... And so then Josiah actually goes on this big, you know, reform, and he has to, like, travel all throughout Israel. The point is, how do you not know what the law is? I mean, like, this tells you what's going on in the ministry. Like, why Zephaniah has to, like, come and talk to Israel. Like, how have have we gotten so far that, like, the law is like this book that's dusty in a corner somewhere? See, the law is not just, like, this thing that's meant to be obeyed on like an individual level like some sort of personal piety and so therefore you know maybe they were okay as a people but you know ah they kind of had some things they needed to work out well good that they have the law now I mean the law dictated all of life I mean corporate life for Israel I mean whenever someone sins against the law what do you do with that person you know Uh, how do you worship in the temple so I mean for them to have set aside the law I mean that's like a sermon in and of itself you know I mean it's like you know they had a book they didn't read the book they didn't do the book I mean the points are easy so I mean that's the thing is this is what's going on We're looking at a people, Zephaniah is going to a people that have just totally forgotten that the law even exists. Totally faithless, okay? So the reason I prep you with that is because we're about to read the next verse, that if you didn't understand how bad things were, you might think that, you know, God has just, you know, kind of gone off his rocker, right? Verse 2, God is speaking now, right? I will sweep away everything from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. I will sweep away both man and beast. I will sweep away the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea and the idols that cause the wicked to stumble when I destroy all mankind on the face of the earth, declares the Lord. This sounds very much to me like Noah-type language, right? Like build an ark, God's about to kill everyone, right? I mean, this is kind of, this is intense. Now, you know, open parentheses, step aside for a sec wait, I thought this was about joy. Well, hang on just a second. You're going you, you to understand joy a lot better once I get through this passage, right? We don't, we don't understand joy, I think, on a full level unless we understand what we've been saved from in the first place, right? So, close parentheses. All right, so when we go through these two chapters, what we end up seeing is that Judah and Jerusalem are specifically sort of under the microscope. Um, and God says, here's the deal. You've been totally unfaithful. You've gone around and worshiped every other god you can get your hands on. If you look in Second Kings, Josiah goes from, like, town to town, like having to break down different Asherah poles and altars that have been set up to every god. I mean, even in the temple, they've set up a god to worship next to Yahweh. So things are kind of just, like, out of control. It's not like it's just not good. It's, we're not talking about, like, today's standard, you know, where we, like, have debates over whether or not we can have a sip of wine or something. You know, we're talking about, like, things have just gone completely awry, okay? And the whole reason is because the people don't trust in Yahweh. Like, that's basically what it kind of boils down to. Because when you worship idols, that's, that's the problem, is you don't trust in Yahweh. And so the thing that I think that we have to grasp from the first two chapters of this book and from this sort of, you know, summary that I'm giving you is that these people, Israel, we don't really get the luxury of looking at them and going, man, I've never been like that. Man, these guys are jacked up, you know. <laughs> You know, when I was born, you know, I was praying, and they interrupted me, and I came out the womb, you know. So, I mean, that just doesn't, that's just not true, right? I mean, it's interesting, because I think it's very easy for us to look at these Old Testament passages. And since we don't do, like, the exact same sin that we see them doing, you know, it's like, well, I've, you know, I've never worshipped Molech, you know, right? Or Milcom, as it's described in here, which, was one of, which is one of the gods they used to worship, Right? We so, say, well, I've never done that, right? Well, okay, well, let's just boil it down. Okay, you never worship Milcom, right? Have you Have you ever trusted in something other than the Yahweh? Well, that's called idolatry. So, if you'd like to put a name on your God, and then I can call that name out whenever I call you out for your idolatry, that's fine with me. But my point in telling you this is. I think we relate to these people more than we realize because we love to look back and say, oh, this is, man, this is what, 610 B.C. It was back there, man. These dudes, were, this was all just, this has nothing to do with us, man. We we're not like this. I was born and I was a decent person. You know, I mean, it wasn't great, but, you know, Jesus made me better, but, you know. No, we look at this and we say, this is us. Like, this is what we looked like. There was a, there was a day before you came to Jesus and any of that stuff where, I mean, this, this space could characterize you and me. Like, that's the truth. And so if there was a time in all of our lives, and there was, that this characterized us, we were a people who didn't trust in Yahweh but trusted in something else, then I would say the judgments that we read in this book are things that probably could have been said to us as well. So when I read things like, I'm going to wipe everything off the face of the earth, says the Lord, we have to realize that that could have easily been said to us. It would have been just and right and good for the Lord to say these things. You may say, well, the Lord kind of seems kind of, you know, like he's got some anger issues or something, right? No, it's been like 800 years, I said, since the law was given. Is that not patience? I mean, is the Lord not waiting? The Lord sends prophets out of, out of mercy. I mean, imagine if the Lord never sent someone to say, hey, you need to repent of your sin, right? I mean, it would just continue on. Imagine if all these gods just just piled up forever. And the Lord said, well, you know, I don't want to be mean, so I don't want to say anything, you know. It would just continue on forever. Instead, he says, send Zephaniah in there and tell these guys, what's the deal? You know, repent. I mean, that's an act of mercy, right? And I mean, this is not, you know, when we read, you could read so much of the scriptures in one setting. It makes it seem like maybe, you know, uh, maybe this stuff has happened really quickly. But imagine the time period. Imagine how much time has passed. Imagine how much time the Lord has sat and waited. And said, you know, maybe, maybe next year they'll be faithful. There, there's a new king. Maybe they'll maybe they'll listen to it. Maybe they'll you know reform and just get rid of these guys. Maybe they'll be faithful. And finally, it comes a day where the Lord, he says, listen, your sin just keeps building up and building up and building up, and it's just overflowing, and we got to do something about this. So. whenever we get to chapter 3 imagine being because i just told you why you should identify and relate with these people imagine being these people because you are these people judgment is due to you right so what prophets many times will do is they will give they will give the judgment statements that the lord has given to them to the people and then they will switch tones and begin to speak in the first person as if something magnificent has happened in the present, but they're really talking about the future, right? So, it's, so it, reads, it, I, it reads, sing instead of you will sing, right? In chapter 3, we find out what the Lord is truly about. Because if you just read two chapters, you go, the Lord is mad and there's nothing we can do about it. You get to chapter 3, And the tone totally changes because the Lord begins to speak of a day that is coming in the future, which he says, listen, this judgment is coming to you, Israelites, but it won't be forever. There will come a day when I will save you from your sin and you will have joy. So he speaks of that day in the first person and says this in chapter 3, verse 14, sing, daughter Zion. Shout aloud, Israel. Be glad and rejoice with all your heart, daughter Jerusalem. Now, this is not like a command, like, you know, like everybody's going to be sitting around, you know, and and then somebody has to, like, get up and go, you know, you guys should be singing like preachers do all the time, you know. It's not, it's like, this is like win the lotto kind of thing, you know, like 10 million or something, you know, and you just, like, jump up and make up a song, you know, because you're like, I just won, you know, we're, we're set right now. You know, that's that kind of singing, right? It's like, just like exuberant, you know, like Kyle Vaughn could do this kind of singing. That's why I just kept thinking every time I was like, even he would do it would be phenomenal. I'd love to see it. <laughs> Verse 15 says, I mean, here's the question. Why, why, why are you gonna be glad and start singing and shouting and jumping? We just heard about all this punishment that's coming our way, right? What's, 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 just with this singing? What's with this getting all excited? I don't know what I'm excited about. Verse 15 says, here's why, because the Lord has taken away your punishment, he has turned back your enemy. And for them, that was very literal because as they would be sitting watching their enemy on the hillside about to come in and ransack their city, it's like the Lord's saying, I'm just going to you know, take my hand and just turn them back to where they came from. Here's the thing. That verse should just cut us to the core. As people who sit in a church that say Jesus has saved us and that's why we gather and that's why we sing. I mean, when I when I read that verse, it should just pierce you because the Lord has taken away your punishment. If you identify with these people, then this is the kind of judgment that sin requires, right? So you say, well, why, then why then would I have any hope? Why would I have joy? Well, because the Lord has taken away your punishment. Because all the things that I just told you about, about, how horrible it was and how we can identify with how magnificent that sin is, well, the Lord has taken away that sin and the punishment that comes with it. And my fear, you know, I was thinking about this as I, uh, as I was thinking back, you know, when me and my wife first started coming here like 10 years ago or something, I remember Mark making comments when we were starting, I think it was Colossians or something. He said, he said you know, we're, this is a book written to a young church to help them figure out, you know, what it looks like for them to live this new life following Jesus. He said, well, we're a young church, and we need to figure out how to follow Jesus from this book, you know. Because at that end, and he didn't mean like, you know, the average age was young. He meant as a church, following Jesus together was still new, you know, we're still young as a church, right? Well, that was a long time ago. I don't know that I'd say this is a young church anymore. And so my fear for you guys, for myself, is that this just becomes old hat. When we say the Lord has taken away your punishment, that's why you have joy. My fear is that that just becomes something we say and we put on bumper stickers or on a plaque on the wall. My fear is it doesn't cut us to the to the quick. I mean, When you think about Advent, I mean, you have to not let this be another Advent in which we just, you know, well, there's these things, you know, it's hope and joy and I can't remember the third one, you know. This has to be, you know, I mean, because it could just be this thing. I've got, you know, we got an Advent candle at our house, you know, it's just like sitting on the bookshelf. It's like, it's just this thing, you know. Man, but this Advent, don't let it be that. Because if you've been following Jesus for a while, this is just what seems to happen. You know, it just seems to just become just words that we say. These things don't really pierce us. And that's not a beat down, like, well, you need to let it pierce you. I'm saying, maybe you should dwell in this a little bit. Because this is what you've been saved from. This is what we've been saved from as a people. And we gather together and we sing these songs. We're singing about this. You know, we're talking about, you know, you're the one we've waited for. Yeah, this, and this is, we're, we're saved because of it. This is what identifies us as a people. And so if this doesn't get to you, and if it just seems like, you know, you're like, yeah, I've dealt with that back then when I was saved or whatever, maybe just spend some time just think about that verse and what it really means. Because if you want to have joy in the Lord, maybe you need to really grasp what it is the Lord means to you. Maybe that's what we need, you know? A lot of times we think it's something else. I think it's just that. I think we just need to grasp what it is the Lord means to us and what he's done for us. That's where your joy lies. All right, so verse 15: The Lord has taken away your punishment, He has turned back your enemy. The Lord, the King of Israel, is with you. Never again will you fear any harm. On that day, they will say to Jerusalem, do not fear, Zion. And when I say things like Jerusalem and Zion, you can, you can just implant church there for to make it easier, right? We're part of this, right? We're part of God's people now. So don't think, you know, well, that's them over there in some city or something that's getting bombed right now. No, we're talking about, like, us, God's people, right? So it says, on that day, they will say to Jerusalem, do not fear, Zion. Do not let your hands hang limp, you know, or just you know, stand something like that, okay? It's kind of a weird way to put that, but that's what that means. Like, standing there like you're, you know, just depressed right don't let your hands hang limp the lord your god is with you the mighty warrior who saves now just a couple chapters ago he was about to be a mighty warrior except he was going to have a sword in his hand ready to chop down your, your city right now the lord's the mighty warrior and he's standing beside you and he will take great delight in you in his love he will no longer rebuke you but will rejoice over you with singing now, this is an interesting picture, right? Because I just told you that the Lord has taken away your punishment, right? And sometimes I think, I think we can grasp that on like a level, you know, like a certain level, as if it's like a transaction, you know? Like, well, I had these sins, and, you know, and then he took them away from me, so now I don't have to you know, experience the judgment, right? And it's just kind of, we put it there, right? So I won't, I won't have judgment. It's like, okay, but you know, what about you and God? Like, how are y'all? <laughs> are y'all Okay is he kind of ticked still a little bit you know like he like he's like I'm going to let this slide but I'm not real happy about it you know cuz we ask the question all the time you know if I were to see Jesus face to face you know like the mercy me song I can only imagine say so if I if I saw Jesus what would I do would I like fall to my knees and start you know yelling out and singing or would I just weep or would I just fall on my face how about we ask a better question what is what is the lord going to do when we see him you ever thought about that How's the Lord gonna react to you when you see him face to face in this day? Well, I will tell you. It says, He'll take great delight in you. It means that he will be delighted in your presence. You ever thought about that? Well, I think when I see Jesus, I'll fall down on my knees and start singing. It's like, no, no, he's gonna beat you to it. He'll already be singing, says this verse. He'll rejoice over you with singing, right? Can you imagine? The lotto type singing, right? Not like the you know he prepared it with the church choir and hates his life kind of singing. Like you no, know, like he's like he's like really actually happy to see you kind of singing. You know that I mean, can you? I mean, just picture this. You know. That's how the Lord feels about you. It's not just a transaction that has occurred. That's not really why we have joy. I'm not sure how joyful I'd be. over You know, well, I'm not going to be judged, but God hates me. You know, no, I'm not going to be judged because God loves me. And when I see him, he's going to wrap his arms around me, be singing louder than I am. This is how the Lord feels about you. And this is what it looks like to have your sins taken away. The Lord makes you right with him. The Lord loves you and will sing over you. This is why we have joy. I mean, this is why we have joy. Because, I mean, before before the first Advent, Advent just means coming, for the coming of Jesus, right? We didn't have this, right? We had chapter 1 and 2, you know? We had all the judgment. We had this thought that there's, you know, a God that we just, you know, we can't please because we're in our sin and there's just, you know, Can't blame him for being, for casting down judgment on us. We do not live in that time anymore. We live in a time in which the Lord rejoices over over us. This is your joy. The Lord's rejoicing is your joy. So, this Advent, just, just rejoice in the fact that the Lord's rejoicing over you. This is your joy. Verse 18 says, I will remove from you all who mourn over the loss of your appointed festivals, which is a burden and reproach for you, right? So in in Israel, you have feasts and festivals coming up every two or three months. And if you think about a people that's just been exiled, right, in other words, you know, They're about to have this judgment and to be scattered throughout the lands. It's kind of hard to have a feast or a festival celebrating deliverance whenever you're actually in exile hoping for deliverance, right? So they probably would have either celebrated the festivals in whatever land that they were exiled to, and it would have been probably a somber occasion in which they're hoping that one day this festival will have a new meaning in which they're actually in the land, Or they probably would have, you know, or some people probably didn't even celebrate it at all. So God says, you know how the festivals were supposed to be festive and and enjoyable and like, like a feast that you're celebrating something? Well, now they've just become a reproach to you, right? Because you're exiled because of the judgment, right? He says, in this day, that will not be the case anymore. He says, you'll eat, you'll drink, and you'll celebrate my deliverance. Verse 19, he says, at that time, I will deal with all who oppressed you, because that's the problem. They're going to come in and send them to exile, okay? He says, I will rescue the lame. I will gather the exiles. He says, I will give them praise and honor in every land where they have suffered shame. Now, imagine just, this is how it works. So imagine them, you know, they're in Judah and Jerusalem, which is mainly who this book is talking to. They come and get ransacked. They're just, you know, spread out to whatever surrounding nations which the Lord has also said he's going to judge, so it's not like they've escaped anything, okay? The Lord says, I'm going to come and get you from those nations that I've sent you to, right? But it's not going to be like some sort of, you know, black op mission where he comes in and, like, sneaks you out. And he said, no, 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 I'm going to give you praise and honor in those nations. I'm not just going to, it's not just going to be like this thing where I, you know, like where Yahweh says, well, I'm scared of the other gods of the other nations, so I'm going to kind of just like sneak you out and we'll get back into the land and we won't let anybody know about it. He said, no, this is going to be a big procession where everybody's going to see you and give you praise and honor, right? He said, at that time I will gather you. At that time I will bring you home, right, back into the land you lost. I will give you honor and praise among all the peoples of the earth, not just the places that you happen to be exiled to, but everybody's going to give you honor and praise. When I restore your fortunes before your very eyes... And he seals it. This is, this is a way of the Lord. He didn't, he, instead of him just you know, saying something, it's like he seals it with his stamp saying, this will occur by saying, says the Lord. Because when the Lord says something, you don't doubt whether it's going to occur, right? He says, when I restore your fortunes before your very eyes, or in other words, when I restore back to you everything that sin has taken away, See, this day that we're speaking of is a day that you receive everything back that your sin has destroyed in your life. This is why we have joy. Because we look at it a world that is just decaying and crumbling, and we see the media, and they're helping us to, you know, they're the cheerleaders of the doom. And we could come in here and we could, you know, we could just say, forget this. Let's talk about our candidate. You know, which one do we want? Which one could fight ISIS? You know, we could talk about all that stuff. Or we could sit and be a people that say, the Lord's going to restore everything that sin is going to destroy in this world. You may sit by and watch sin destroy a lot. We already have. And and, and we watch it on a TV screen. Imagine people are watching it in their front yard. Sin is destroying, it's lurking about and chopping off heads and doing whatever it does, right? Or it's killing us with cancer or it's, you know, or it's making our babies be stillborn. These are horrible things, right? It's because sin is in this world. And in the last day, this will be no more because I promise you, says the Lord, he'll restore everything. This This is Advent. This is the joy that we have. Because we know these things to be true. Because we have this hope. This is why we have joy. So guys, just take some time this Advent and sit with the Lord. And if you, if it just seems like it's just old and dilapidated and like there's just motions for you to go through, just swipe all the other stuff. Just don't get anybody presents and tell them to get over it. And just spend some time with Jesus. And just, just sit and dwell on these things until you have joy. Because this is where it's found. And the hope we have in our Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this passage. Thank you for... Lord, thank you for um, any way that you might have moved on us during this time, Lord. Father, I pray that you would lead us and guide us through this Christmas season. If we're going to try to be a people that are a light to this world, we have to be a people that have joy in you. So Lord, if the years or anything else has stolen our joy, would you sit with us and dwell with us richly over the next few days and weeks and return it back to us? In the name of the King, we ask this, Father. Amen.
1: Father, thank you for this family that you've knit together by your Holy Spirit. Thank you that we're scattered to the ends of the earth, but we're never far from each other in our hearts. Thank you for Pastor Ramon, for Angela, for Rita, for Elia, for Kostya and Mark. I ask your blessings on them this season, that you would surprise them, and that you would stir up their hearts, and that just like this passage we looked at tonight, you would just give them incredible ways to sing and to praise you for how faithful and good you are. We ask that you would strengthen Ramon in this busy, busy season, that you would give him traveling mercies and safety as he goes and proclaims the reign of King Jesus. So, Lord, we also pray for Colt, for Stephanie, for Phoebe, for Enoch, for Joni. We pray your blessings on them, your safety, to you would keep them healthy and well, that you would provide for them, not just financially, but also just emotionally, spiritually, and that you would provide them just next steps, whatever that looks like, and that you would just um, grant them your favor and your love. And that you would also instill in their hearts this vision that Colt shared with us the Lord who is rejoicing and singing over them. We are so thankful for their faithfulness these years, their vulnerability, their, their way of sharing life and encouraging us. We thank you for what you've done in them. And we thank you for what you've done through them. And we're confident that you will continue to do great things. So Lord, we thank you. For this time, we thank you for a reminder to seek you, to see you. And as Colt prayed earlier, that we would be a church who is a light to the world and that we are joyful in your presence, captivated by who you are. So, Lord, bless us and keep us as we go this week. Amen. Let's receive our benediction.
3: May God bless you with discomfort at easy answers, half-truths, and superficial relationships, so that you may live deep within your heart. May God bless you with anger and injustice, oppression and exploitation of people, so that you may work for justice, freedom and peace. May God bless you with tears to shed for those who suffer pain, rejection, hunger and war, so that you may reach out your hand to comfort them and to turn their pain into joy. And may God bless you with enough foolishness to believe that you can make a difference in the world so that you can do what others claim cannot be done, to bring justice and kindness to all our children and the poor. Go in peace.